The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. For those of you who've never been through this before, this is what the beginning of a fire sale looks like. I cannot begin to tell you how important the first hour and a half is going to be. I want you to hit every bite you can find. Dealers, brokers, clients, your mother if she's buying. And no swaps. It's outgoing only today. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Monday, July 31st, 2023. The Chicago White Sox split their four-game series against the Cleveland Guardians this weekend. Tim Anderson hit a home run, finally! But the White Sox are 43-64, and and all that matters really for this season is the next two days. On Tuesday, August 1st at 5 p.m. Central Time will be the Major League Baseball trade deadline. At Sox Machine, we'll have our live stream going that people could join Jim and I breaking down the news as it trickles in. And we expect more White Sox trades coming. As in the intro, one of my favorite monologues from the movie Margin Call, we're watching a fire sale. In this episode, I'm flying solo for the most part as Jim is away. But there will be multiple guests joining me to talk about the new prospects the White Sox acquired, plus a look at the possible activity that could go down. Josh Carey, the voice of the Rocket City Trash Pandas, will join me to talk about Edgar Caro and Kai Bush. My friends Beefloaf and Cherizi from the 108s will join me as well later in the show as we carry over the conversations we have from our season ticket seats at Guarantee Rayfield onto the podcast. Before we get to them, I want to start this show with something that's kind of bugging me. I wouldn't blame anyone if you stopped looking at the Major League Baseball standings. The Minnesota Twins have now lost five straight games as they just got swept by the Kansas City Royals. The Twins still lead the American League Central with a 54-53 record. Cleveland, who is in second place despite a weak offense and numerous injuries to their rotation, are at 500 with a 53-53 record. The Guardians are just a half game back of the Minnesota Twins. Now, the Twins will play the Cardinals this next series while the Guardians visit the Astros in Houston. 
Maybe there's more ground to space out between the Twins and Guardians later this week. But the point that's shaking my head is a 54-53 record is still leading this division. Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox front office couldn't build a 500 team to take advantage in what is still shaping up to be an all-time low for the American League Central. It's so disheartening and disappointing. And I get that the division will probably not be good next year. And guess what? Neither will the White Sox because this contention window has gone so far off the rails. This White Sox organization should be winning the division this year and next. We should have seen four division titles during this contention run. Instead, it's one division title. And in the last three seasons, 2021, 22, and 23, the White Sox are combined 217 and 214. The 2023 White Sox are pacing to finish 65 and 97. They currently have the fourth worst record in Major League Baseball, which gives them a 13.25% chance of finishing with the number one pick thanks to the MLB Draft Lottery. Which brings me back to Rick Hahn. Nothing that I have asked for over the years has been taken into consideration during his tenure, but I'm going to ask anyways. I don't think it's fair to sell White Sox fans on the idea that 2024 is a contending season. White Sox fans are not idiots. They know how bad the roster is, how little depth there is, and more importantly, who your boss is that provides final approval on free agent signings. There will be too much work to do with little money to spend on addressing those issues next year. I don't think it's fair to gaslight everyone, fans and media, into thinking that the 2024 White Sox will bounce back. Jerry Reinsdorf didn't fire Rick Hahn yet, so Hahn should continue with the marching orders and finish this fire sale. After the roster teardown is as complete as it will get after Tuesday, it's time for Jerry Reinsdorf to find someone else who build him a better baseball team because his current GM couldn't build a roster to take advantage of how weak this division is this year. An 85-win White Sox team is all it would take, and they couldn't even do that. Thanks for letting me vent. Time to shift gears. Let's learn about the first set of prospects the Chicago White Sox acquired from the Los Angeles Angel Angels and catcher Edgar Caro and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush. Join us in the Sox Machine podcast as the director of broadcasting for the Rocket City Trash Pandas. It's Josh Carey. And hello, Josh. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, Josh. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me on. I would be remiss as a Chicago baseball podcast to also not bring up for those not aware that you are part of the Flying Carry broadcasting family tree as the grandson yep. of Harry and the son of Skip. So thank you for joining a White Sox podcast. Uh, let's well, start. look, hey, look, don't forget now, Grandpa was with uh, with you guys for eleven years, so uh, we we bleed black and white just like uh, a lot of a lot of your fan base. All right, that's awesome to hear. So let's start with Edgar Caro, as you got a chance to see both Caro and Kai Bush calling their games. A 20-year-old switch hitting catcher, very impressive on-base skills that he was showing in double-A. The batting average and slugging percentage, not great, but he is young for the level. That's easy to figure out when you're looking at his stats on paper. How would you assess Caro's offensive skills when you watched him this season? He has a lot of potential. Uh you're right. The power numbers were down 
when you look at 17 home runs a year ago at low a inland empire and then you only see three this season that's probably a bit of a shock to a lot of folks but you got to remember at the same time that like you mentioned he's only 20 and he took two steps up he skipped high a altogether and now he's playing double a baseball a much advanced league uh facing some really good pitchers so yeah, the fact that he doesn't have the power numbers right now and maybe the batting average is a little down, I wouldn't be too concerned about that because of his age and, again, because of the quality of pitching that he's facing as well. But the big key about him is he knows how to get on base. He finished top 10 in all the Southern League, and you will you guys will see this when he gets to Birmingham. He finished top 10 in the Southern League with uh, on-base percentage and walks. So the guy is patient. He has tremendous discipline. Um, offensively, he's going to be fine. He just needs more time to uh, refine his skills. And on that point, like jumping from low A to double A. So for White Sox fans, I'd be going from Kannapolis to Birmingham and completely jumping Winston-Salem. Josh, did the Angels ever explain why they were so aggressive with that promotion? I think they were aggressive with him, uh, just specifically because they just saw a lot of talent there. And I think they, I think all along, and this is just me talking, I think they saw him as a bargaining chip somewhere down the line, which is what he wound up becoming. Uh, with Logan Ohapi being traded for last season from the Phillies, it was pretty evident that Logan was going to be the catcher of the future. So you already got another primetime catching prospect in your system. What do you do with them? And I think uh, what you knew coming into the season is if there was anyone who was going to be moved at the trade deadline, from the farm system, it was going to be Caro. And that's exactly what happened. It really wasn't that much of a surprise. And I think the reason they wanted to bump him on up is to show that, hey, this kid can play at a higher level. Here's what he can do. He's only 20 years old. He's a switch hitter. Look at what he's already doing. And it was impressive. And the White Sox are going to keep Caro in AA. He will be joining the Birmingham Barons. With him being a switch hitter, which side of the plate is he stronger on, left-handed or right-handed? Left-handed. I think it's just a more natural swing. I believe two of the three home runs came from the left side of the bat. And he's just one of those guys who is baseball hungry. So uh, hitting from both sides of the plate is something he was doing since he was a child. And you can tell, though, the left side, there's just more pop coming off the bat. And that's where most of his hits came from. Defensively, there are other publications suggesting that Caro needs more work, more development in that facet. Is that what you saw broadcasting his games this year? Does does he need more refinement behind the plate defensively? Yeah, uh, but the refinement isn't anything that's surprising. It, it's stuff that you would expect of a 20-year-old. Um, there were just, first off, he had a lot to deal with this year. And it, catching is easily the toughest position on the field. And so, obviously, he had to deal with the pitching staff that at times, that, well, frankly, for most of the season has really struggled. So, you're dealing with that. And there is just things like how to handle a game, how to handle a pitching staff. Uh, there were a few times where balls would skip past him to the backstop or that really he needs to stop. But those are all things that you expect. So I think that will all be ironed out here in the next year or two. Uh, he just needs more time behind the plate, more time to grow, and he'll be just fine. He's got a really good arm. Um, base stealing or catching base stealers was at times a bit of an issue this year. But again, the base runners are more advanced. So just give him more time. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he starts next season in double A as well. And at some point gets to triple A. I still think he's another year or two away from seeing the show. I agree with that assessment just based on what I have seen early as far as watching some of the film. And, and again, to your point, he's only 20 years old in double mm -hmm. A. That is incredibly impressive. Kai Bush, I think, is closer to the majors than mm -hmm. Caro. 
He's a tall glass of water. He's six foot six. He's left-handed, which the White Sox do not have a lot a lot of left-handed pitchers in their farm system. Bush had a very impressive 2022 campaign, but his numbers are not as good in 2023. What has the difference been in your opinion, Josh? Well, not as many games. Number one, he did get hurt. He had an oblique problem, and so he missed most of the season trying to recover from that. In fact, he uh, came to Rocket City, I believe, only about a month ago. So he's only appeared in a handful of games, and he's been working steadily back from that. Uh, really, over the last two to three outings, you started to see the old Kai Bush. Uh, I don't think there's really any issue there. It was just a matter of working back from the injury. I remember he had a couple of games in uh, – uh, at the complex league where he got lit up a little bit because he was just getting back on the mound and the first two or three starts back to rocket city was really just a carryover from that. I don't think anyone's really worried about him. I know the scouts weren't. And so overall you, you still feel pretty good about the guy. I think really when he gets over here to Birmingham, really just wipe the slate clean and see how he does from here into the end of the season. That'll give you a better, uh, a better idea of what he has to offer. What kind of arsenal should White Sox fans expect to see from Kai Bush? Well, first, the fastball. Uh, it's a little down this year. Well, I shouldn't say this year. It's been a little down the last couple of years, but I think it's because he's developing some of his other pitches. His wipeout pitch is a slider. Uh, it's got a wiffle ball effect. The curve and the changeup right now are pretty good. They're not great. They're okay. And those are just going to be two pitches. If he can just add one of those pitches – He's going to be really, really good. The fastball right now is mid, uh, low to mid-90s. It has touched 97 before. Those are going to be his two primary pitches, the fastball and the slider. And if he can work in that curveball, which he uses a little more than the changeup, then you've got a pretty solid three-pitch pitcher. I really like him. I think his uh, competitive nature has really stepped up over the last year or so. He's a, he's a fiery guy. He's got a, a Max Scherzer type of mentality. And I think fans are really going to enjoy him. How close do you think Bush is to the majors? Because like I mentioned, the White Sox need left-handed pitchers. They've got mm -hmm. three spots open right now projecting the 2024 squad. Is Bush close to the majors in your opinion? You know, I think it depends on what they want to do the rest of this season. I, obviously, Chicago is playing for next season. And so do you maybe call him up at some point in September and just give him a taste? I'm not saying he would start next season in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely think he needs some time in Charlotte. I'd like to see him play triple-A ball. But once he gets through that, uh, I think realistically long-term, mid to late next season, but I would not be surprised at all. You know, if Chicago is playing out the string and they want to give some younger guys a shot, I wouldn't be surprised if they give him a couple of games here at the end of the season just to see what he has. Yeah, the front office thinks he's close. He, I think he's definitely going to be added to the 40-man for mm -hmm. the Chicago White Sox uh, pretty soon, if not already. Have you got a chance to know Caro and Bush off the field? Do you mention Bush is like a Max Scherzer type? What kind of personality should White Sox fans expect to see these guys? Well, first off, Max Scherzer type on the field. Off the field, he's a great guy. Uh, very chill, very laid back. Um, good personality, great guy to be around, very affable, easy to talk to. Um, he's a guy who loves playing the game of baseball and very grateful to be where he is. I, I'll, I'll just mention this as well. A lot of people don't know this, but he started his collegiate career at Washington State. In his freshman year, he had an ERA near 12. I mean, he, he really didn't have much of a future. When Juco for a year, wound up going to St. Mary's out in California, had about a four and a half ERA, and that's just where everything took off for him. So this is a guy who went from a 12 ERA at Washington State 
And now five years later, he's one of the top prospects in the White Sox system. That's how far he's come. And I think he remembers those humble beginnings to where he is now and is very grateful to be where he is. Um, Eddie, his his English is pretty good. It's going to get better, as obviously, as he spends more time around English-speaking ballplayers. But uh, the teammates loved him. The pitchers liked working with him. Uh, seems to be a, a pretty – has has his head on the right shoulders, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but he's also 20. He's going to have his little slip-ups from time to time. But again, another kid who eats, sleeps, drinks, and breathes baseball. Um, I think he's really passionate about the game. I think both of them are. And I think White Sox fans are really going to enjoy having them uh, in their clubhouse. 20-year-olds never slip up, Josh. No, no. What are you no, talking about? They're perfect. They never made a mistake. <laughs> Finally, I have to ask about the team name. I love the team name, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. My buddy Paul owns a hat, so you got one additional fan in Chicago. He wears it proudly. As someone who calls their games, again, this is like the most unique team name in all of sports. How do you like it as far as calling the games, and how does the home crowd like it? The crowd loves it because it's theirs. Uh, Huntsville, North Alabama was without baseball for about five seasons. Uh, the team that was here beforehand is now in Biloxi, Mississippi. And so just having a team name of their own and one that's as popular and has as much attention as the trash band is, they're very proud of it being their own. For me, I thought it was a little unique, but I've, you know, I've adopted it because, you know, I have no other choice. But after you say it a few times and you appreciate what minor league baseball is about, it fits right in with the brand. We don't take ourselves too seriously. It's about having a good time. So saying trash pandas as opposed to, you know, bears or lions or tigers mm-hmm. or something like that, it makes it a little, it makes it, it gives it a little more panache. And I think people enjoy it. And I certainly. I like the team names of the Southern League. You got the Barons, you got yeah. the Trash Pandas, you got the Biscuits. <laughs> I, I, right. I, I love the team names in the Southern League. When the Birmingham Barons visit the Trash Pandas, you could listen to Josh Carey, call the games on MILB.TV or along with your MLB.TV subscription. You can also follow Josh on Twitter. He's at Big Papa Panda. Josh, it was great to chat with you. Thank you for your insight on the new White Sox prospects. And I hope we could do this again. Thanks for joining the Sox Machine Podcast. Would love to, Josh. Thank you so much. Early returns for Edgar Caro and Kai Bush with Birmingham have been mixed. Caro is 2-for-11 in his first three games with the Barons with an RBI. Bush got rocked in his first start with Birmingham, going three and a third innings, allowed 12 hits, seven earned runs. He walked one and struck out none. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, let's talk some more about what could happen for the White Sox before Tuesday's trade deadline. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use GameTime to purchase your tickets. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why GameTime is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the GameTime app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. 
Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we continue the conversation leading up to Major League Baseball's 2023 trade deadline. Again, that is Tuesday, August 1st. There's been so much activity already. And with Jim away, I wanted to bring our listeners into the season ticket section at Guarantee Ray Field, where I think we have some of the smartest and weirdest and craziest discussions about the game of baseball. So to bring you into that inner circle, I've invited my friends over from the 108, Cherizi and Beefloaf, to join me here as we talk about the latest with the Major League Baseball draft and what the White Sox can or maybe should do in the next 48 hours. And uh, Cherizi, how's it going, bud? Thanks for joining. It's going good, man. Thanks for having us. It's a it's a enjoyable day of baseball today, other than the result, you know. So uh, <laughs> it's it's good to see you. and 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 I'm watching uh, watching the Orioles play uh, the Yankees right now, and I'm wondering when the Orioles are going to start uh, participating in this uh, in this trade deadline. Yeah, that's a good point, and we'll get to that in a moment. And Beef Loaf, uh, I'm expecting to bring some of our you and I are get very philosophical <laughs> in the seats. Uh, so I'm hoping to bring some of that out here in the segment. Um, wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we, we shoot uh, all over the place and just kind of see uh, where the things land and, and spitball lots of ideas. So let, let's go with it. All right. So let's start with you, Beef. What do you make of the MLB trade deadline so far? Well, for me, I, I was kind of I'm surprised at the lack of transactions in general. I thought it was going to be a very transactional deadline. However, I'm also surprised that that two uh, top 100 prospects and and no doubt top 100 prospects have already moved. And I thought it was going to be kind of one of these deadlines where you see a lot of transactions, but you don't see any big headliners moving. The White Sox participating, getting a, a top 100 prospect and also the Mets getting a top 100 prospect already. And we still have a couple days left to go. So that really has surprised me that there's been some big movers going in this deadline. Teresi, how about you? How, how do you make sense of what we've seen so far? I think to, to me, there's been, a, I guess, it's been a surprising amount of big names early, right? I mean, I think it, I was kind of expecting there to be a lot of stuff at the very at the very end of it. I did not expect the Mets to be able to move anybody. Um, I was I was one of the 
I, I definitely on our podcast, I was talking about the Mets in terms of like these contracts are gigantic. How are they going to move any of these? And to see Scherzer move well before the deadline um, was a, a big surprise. And I think, you know, you hear there's definitely rumors about Verlander now. So it's it's been big names up front, which we were talking about in the seats today, which is kind of the opposite of what you usually see. Right. Like you maybe hear that these guys are like on the block and like something might get done and it takes to the deadline. They're moving. They're moving like you're wondering what's what's left to move at, at this point. Yeah, because everyone talks about the leverage using the trade deadline deadline as leverage for the sellers and the buyers don't care about that. It seems like beef loaf like they're not waiting around <laughs> to the last minute to, to pull the trigger. This is our offer. Take it or leave it. If you don't take it. All right, fine. We're, we're moving elsewhere. And the sellers are kind of like looking around be like, well, wait a second. Don't leave me quite yet. Uh, I, I'm still interested, but I want to negotiate. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, come on, let's let's I'm trying to use this leverage. But everyone keeps saying this is a seller's market right now. And the White Sox clearly in their fire sale at the moment being a seller uh, in the next 48 hours is, is going to be interesting from their aspect. But that's like my biggest takeaway so far in the trade deadline. When a buyer identifies a target and a player, and it's been a lot of pitching so far, yeah. they're not waiting around. Like, here's our offer. It's aggressive. Give me what I want, or I move on. And I think Rob, that's I, a that's a bit refreshing. It is. I agree. And, and it's something Treasy and I had talked about uh, kind of outside of our podcast was, do we think that maybe that the trade deadline is changing from when we were younger, when we were coming up watching baseball, the trade deadline was hurry up and get this player that we really need for the stretch run that we nearly really need for the playoffs and maybe just becoming another demarcation line of here's another chance to do transactions of any sort like like the the dodgers doing the transaction with the the guardians where they flipped ahmed rosario and and noah Syndergaard was a weird like i don't really know what this is i guess the dodgers need a shortstop but like what does noah Syndergaard really do for cleveland it almost made it feel like sometimes some of these deals are just going to be, hey, we're all working on these types of things right now. Let's just make a deal we might make some other time, but here's the time that we, we've set aside to make some deals, and we'll just start doing them. So some of the trade deadline deals are going to be these goofy, we just wanted to make this deal eventually, so let's make it right now because we have an excuse. Now, as we record this, if there's any breaking news, I'll try to share it with you to pull back the curtain, podcast listeners, and pretend this is Wizard of Oz, because it is the trade deadline <laughs> that always seems to happen uh, in the podcast game, is that you publish an episode and you cross your fingers that there isn't something that you missed <laughs> uh, with the breaking news. Uh, but what I have here is a list of things that I think the Chicago White Sox should do. There's a difference between what I think they should do and what I think they will do, so let's keep that separate. This is all about what I think they should do. Uh, so pretend if I was a consultant for the White Sox, consulting Jerry Reinsdorf for what the next move should be. And we're going to run down this list. And I also put it on Twitter, which you can follow me on Twitter, at SoxMachine underscore Josh. And, of course, follow us on Twitter as well, at SoxMachine. And, and follow these fine gentlemen, at Cherizy and at MrDelicious13. And, of course, at from the 108 And, Cherizy, let's start with... The number one point, and I knew this was going to gen generate a lot of conversation, and uh, it's bringing out the White Sox fans who have not watched any baseball in 2023 arguing <laughs> with me about this number one point. And that number one point is to trade Dylan Cease. Word out of San Diego, since they have swept the Texas Rangers at home, is that they are not going to trade Blake Snell. And yep. this is coming off the heels that Shohei Otani is not going to get traded by the Los Angeles Angels. 
all of a sudden the buyers are looking around looking for premium starting pitching and they're resorting to i want to say over the hill but late stage career max scherzer it sounds like the houston astros might want to kick the tires and bring justin verlander these guys are making 43 plus million dollars and they're age 39 age 40. there isn't that young controllable starter that teams are that buyers could possibly get unless the white Sox make dylan cease available and i feel like if you're ever going to get the most out of a trade from dylan cease the time is now what do you think about the pot that possibility of cease being available in a trade i think that other than this past off season this is the highest value he's ever going to have right i mean like it <clears throat> due to the market more so than than his performance right because to the the points you made about the guys that are unavailable at this point and you you add into that even like a guy like marcus stroman because the cubs are on like a million game win streak or i don't know if they won today but they they would won eight in a row they're back in it they're not going to they're not going to sell off so now you're down to as you noted justin verlander but also like guys like michael lorenzen is the the hottest name out there uh maybe eduardo rodriguez if the if the tigers are willing to move him if they think he's going to opt out those aren't like names that like blow your mind so having someone who's controllable like dylan cease might be what it takes to get a baltimore orioles to do something right or some of these other teams that need pitching to finally step up but it's going to cost because he's the last guy he's the last guy available really that that you would go like hey everyone we got a pitcher right and we got we got a good pitcher that we that we're we're proud of and we we want to have in the org for a while you could go with verlander you got to figure out that money. That ain't easy. And he's got no trade clause. Just like, I don't know if he has a full no trade clause, but I know he has at least a bit of a no trade clause. After that, what are you, are you going to like hang your hat on like today, like uh, Jordan Montgomery going or like, or Michael Lorenzen being, being the guy that you brought into to fix this rotation going into the playoffs. I don't know that you do. So I think Dylan Cease from a, not only player standpoint, but also like a marketing standpoint to your fan base makes a lot of sense and i think teams would pay a lot for him beef do you agree I, I agree but i think that the delta between what's available and what dylan cease would cost is going to be a bit of a deterrent and especially because there is only one dylan cease there's not a lot of pressure for anyone to buy him because almost no one will likely post up and buy him so your competitors aren't going to get that leg up on you it's it's really kind of a a weird situation in which Yes, he would be the most valuable thing, and, and especially for these up-and-coming teams, the Baltimores and the Cincinnati's and the Arizonas of the world, this fits real nicely with what kind of what they have going, mm -hmm. and they have the prospect capital to do it, but they're not under a tremendous amount of pressure to do it because it's not like, like you guys are mentioning, there's no other commodities out there. There's nothing to keep up with. There's no other, oh, well, they're getting that guy, so I've got to get that guy. I've got to get Dylan Cease to keep up with these guys. So I'm interested to see if anyone will actually say, look, we're going to, we're going to entertain this. We're going to push hard here and we're going to make the White Sox make a deal. The White Sox outwardly are saying that he's, you know, not under consideration. I, I just think that's a market, you know, that's a tactic to, to, to maintain leverage. I think that they would be interested in trading him. I'm just interested. To, I'm not sure if anyone is really, really that interested in posting up for him. It have the, has the pressure been put on the Astros though? Because by the, by the Rangers? Oh, and with, possibly the Angels with, with Scherzer with the with the Scherzer situation. I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, but I, yeah, 
Potentially, but Scherzer really slides in as like a number three starter these days. I mean, he's not the superstar he once was, you know. So I, I don't think that the difference between him and what you think a Dylan Cease might be able to do down a stretch, and obviously Dylan Cease has been a mediocre starter this year, I don't think there's enough of a pressure, especially for the price. It's a high asking price for Dylan Cease. Yeah, I don't think the Houston Astros have the prospects to be able to pull off a Dylan Cease trade right now. But for the White Sox fans yelling at me, about moving Dylan Cease <laughs> as you are listening or watching at this. Let me pose this question, Beef. Do you think, or put the put a percentage of odds that Dylan okay. Cease pitches for the 2025 Chicago White Sox? Oh, I mean, I'd put that at 20%, 15%. It's got to be extremely low. I mean, 10% maybe. There's just not a, a reason to. Like, you're almost... you. You know, the, the, the fact that they're mentioning we're going to compete in 2024 is just word salad. They, they're having a down year in 2024, no doubt about it. The the likelihood that they pop back up in 2025 to the extent that they would not entertain trading him before then seems highly unlikely. I mean, I'm a glass half full type guy, so I hope that does happen, but I, I, don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, because that, that's part of my point as well and why I would move Dylan Cease at this moment is that we're going to revisit this conversation. If you don't train them by Tuesday next year, like in a calendar year, we're going to have the same conversation guys. Yep. Like should the white Sox trade Dylan cease? And then you have some comps, right? Like when the reds traded Luis Castillo to Seattle, and you mm -hmm. can use that trade as a basis of pulling off a, a deal. I, I find it very unlikely that Dylan Cease if it pitches for the 2025 White Sox. So there's that argument of, well, you can't trade Dylan Cease because every team needs a frontline starter. That's how baseball works. And if you think the 2025 White Sox are to be any good, you're going to need Dylan Cease. But I think if you don't trade him now in a year, there's going to be a lot of pressure to trade him because I don't think you're going to be very good. And if Cease is good, you're going to get overwhelming offers to move him. And the focal point should not be Cherizi. We got to figure out how to build around Dylan Cease. The focal point should be we got to build around Luis Robert, and you got Luis Robert until 2027. So I think that should be the focal point for the White Sox, and that's why I would make Dylan Cease available. That's that's part of my thinking here as well, and trying to trade him the next two days. Yeah, and I think you, if you're if you're looking at okay, the the Sox are going to stink next year, which I think we all agree is is going to be the case, right? They're going to slash payroll. They they're going to they're going to ride out Yohan Mankata's last season. It's going to be a stinky team. So you're, you're looking at 25 as like, this is the start of a new window of contention. And why would you start that window with the guy who's going to be gone that, that year, right? right. Like you, you should yeah. be building a team that's going to be around from 25 to 27 and, and maybe even 28. So it, it's, it seems suboptimal to like pin all of your hopes on being back by 2025 and having a use for Dylan Cease as opposed to going, we're not going to, we don't know what 2025 is. We know next year's bad. Mm -hmm. This is the time to move him because like we said, there's scarcity and he's a guy that, that could bring in a big return. And we don't know what he's going to be in the next couple of years because it hasn't looked like before. So like, I don't, I don't know that, that we can say like, oh, Dylan Cease is just the the guy that we want at the top of the rotation. He might not be. So like, it, this might be a perfect time to sell. Yeah, everyone will be holding your breath. If you don't trade him now, I don't think they're going to trade Dylan Cease in the offseason. There's just too many free agents starting pitching options this upcoming year. And teams, to Beef's point, 
mostly have not been wanting to give up their top prospects, and I don't blame them. So if you don't trade him now, we have this conversation in a calendar year, and everyone holds your breath that Dylan Cease does not get hurt. Uh, that's what we'll <laughs> all be doing uh, next year. The second point that I have is find deals for Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson. And there was this tweet from Ben Nicholson-Smith. He works for Sportsnet up in Toronto, and he covers the Blue Jays. And he tweeted, with the Angels and Cubs deciding to go for it, high-end trade candidate candidates like Shohei Otani and Cody Bellinger are off the market, and there's not a ton out there for teams seeking to upgrade their lineups. Quote, no bats at all from one Major League Baseball executive. And Terezi, I know we talked about this, and I definitely had this conversation with Beef. We'll get to him in a moment. But with Ben's tweet and speaking to that anonymous Major League Baseball executive, they have a point. We have seen a ton of pitching moved, very little position players. And team, everyone's just trying to build up cases like, hey, Tommy Pham could be an impact bat. And I love <laughs> Tommy Pham, but Tommy Pham's not a, an, an impact bat. So now it brings out another opportunity for the White Sox as sellers. Maybe Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson could be those impact bats, but I could also see the other side of the coin where that executive looks at the White Sox at Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson, and they make the argument, no, they're not impact bats either. So what do you make of the trade market for Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson? Well, I think I think Jimenez has a, a decent trade market regardless. Like he's he can hit. We like there's no question he can hit. Teams will probably look at him and go, we can keep him healthier than the White Sox have because they can't keep their players healthy. <laughs> um, but his lack of position hurts, right? Like there's you're you're really you're just getting a bat. I mean, the if the Brewers got him, he's definitely playing like right or left field, wherever Yelich is not. Um, but but that's kind of sad. But the I think the value is is all in the bat, and it's it's going to be a question of like which team can slot a DH the best, right? Or which team which team's more most willing to take that? I think there's there's utility there. I think Tim Anderson, on the other hand, I think there's enough teams that can say I need help in the middle infield and any bat like wh whatever version of Tim Anderson we get, as long as it's not the first half of this season, Tim Anderson <laughs> is good enough to to spark this team. Right. And like you think about him, we, I listed out some of the places where he would fit at shortstop. But, you know, you can you can add to that and say, OK, here are the places where he could play second base. And that that opens up a number of more teams. So there is value in both of these guys. I think they're both tricky situations, though. One for Eloy is, is the the injury history that you have to worry about. It's not like teams are unaware of this. Right. And then with Timmy, it's going to be a thing of like, what Tim Anderson am I getting? Because we've seen like six different versions of Timmy. And is it is it all oh, this guy hits a ton, but he's super error prone or is it? the fielding's looking pretty solid, but uh, he can't, he can only hit singles like that. That's, that's going to be the question for most of these uh, teams. And I think there's, it's not a surefire, like we can trade this guy and it's going to be worth a lot. I think Tim might have way more value in the off season when the free agent market for shortstops is terrible than he will right now. Yeah. Beef, what do you make of Eloy and Tim's trade market at the moment? I mean, materially, I agree with uh, Teresi's thesis, but some of the issue here is that the price 
to acquire them is very speculative, right? When, when teams generally buy a bat at the deadline, they're buying an expiring bat, someone that's going to be there for a couple months. And like we saw Atlanta do this a couple years ago. They bought a bunch of them, but the cost wasn't prohibitive, right? But Eloy Jimenez is not only a bat-only player, so as Treasy mentioned, you got to kind of be able to isolate DH for him. And he's not J- he's not like prime J.D. Martinez or prime Poppy or someone like that where it's like, oh, it's easy. We know this hitter guy is the DH guy. He's uh, well below that level, but it's also like he's got two years of control, and how do you value him compared to the way the White Sox value him? And I think that's where, like, you run into trouble trying to move a guy like him where, like, you're kind of betting on the come, and you could hit a home run here. Like, you might keep him healthy, as Treasy mentioned. He might uh, stop hitting so many ground balls and become a huge monster, like, you know, a 40-home run potential player or might not. And so that's where I think that the pricing is kind of bouncing around a bit. I'd be surprised if the White Sox uh, dealt Tim Anderson just because – I don't know that there's that much faith in the marketplace. I kind of agree with Terezi. Like the off season might be the place where the teams realize, all right, we're out of uh, shortstops. We'd like to acquire one, even if it's only for one year. And then, then you might get a little bit better price, even having just watched the season that you watched from Tim Anderson, which is clearly a down one for him. Uh, so so I, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if neither guy moves, even though I think the White Sox should be aggressive in trying to move both. Again, that $14.5 million option for Tim Anderson. If the White Sox do pick that up, then it becomes like the Craig Kimbrell playbook and try and trade Anderson prior to the opening day of 2024. Because, again, we all agree that 2024 is not going to be very good. So what's the point of having Tim Anderson? And maybe we revisit this conversation all off season, And if he doesn't get dealt before opening day, then we have this conversation again next year towards the trade deadline and then he's going to be an age 32 shortstop yeah and then we're all going to have to wait and see on how august and september goes and how the first half goes to see what kind of value he has i do think it's slightly different in than the kimbrel one in the in the case that like so let's say and and let's this would be the most positive scenario for the Sox is the dodgers re-up ahmed rosario then there's no one on the free agent market. Like, I mean, like he's, he's definitely the, the name coming off this, this year. And it's just like, if a team wants a shortstop or team needs a shortstop, like they better have one in their system because there's, there's just not much out there. So like that makes, that will bring some value to, to Timmy's, uh, to Timmy's side. I think that that's a little bit different than Kimbrell when, when Kimbrell, especially for closers, there's always a guy in, in the system or on your team where you're like, this guy's been good in the eighth inning. We'll bump him up rather than go out and get someone. Or, you know, there's someone in the market that you could spend on. Shortstops are very different. And it's like, you can't just go like, yeah, yeah no, no, we'll play Jake Berger at shortstop, right? Like, I mean, like this, <laughs> you could put him at second, but you can't kind of, but you can't, uh, you can't just like put anyone at shortstop. And that's, I think that's going to be key to Timmy's value in the offseason. So quickly, Cherizi. Eloy, Tim, or both out of those three options, what do you think happens on Tuesday? Do any of them get moved? I think I don't think any of them. I don't think I don't think either of them get get moved. I think the the Sox will want too much for Eloy in comparison to what teams would give them. And for Timmy, I, I don't I don't know that there's going to be quite as many suitors at at the prices that they want to to get there. How about you, Beef? I'll say neither, but like I, I'm leaning towards Eloy being a possibility only because of the fact that I think that the White Sox would be more open to trading him because they're pretty board locked at 
hitter, no position player. You know, as, as Treasy mentioned, they're trotting Jake Berger out at second because they're just trying to get all the bats in there. And like, at some point they need to uh, fix that problem there. So it wouldn't surprise me if they, if they were able to do it at this deadline, but I, I, I'm, le- I'm leaning more towards neither thinking that uh, the pricing just won't line up. Yeah, I agree with you guys as well. So the first two items on the list, I think the White Sox should move Dylan Cease, Tim Anderson, and Eloy Jimenez. I don't think they will. Now, what I think the White Sox will prior to the deadline is unload Keenan Middleton. And I know we've had this conversation, Beef. I'm surprised that Middleton has not been moved yet. But we could see just a rush of give me your fifth and sixth inning bullpen guys for these contending teams to build up depth and Keenan Middleton, like we've talked about in previous podcasts is still pretty cheap for the rest of the season. I think he is owed like $350,000 for the rest of the season, but it also brings up Aaron bummer and Bob Nightingale is reporting beef that Aaron bummer is not available. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but if, if a team's calling up and, and they need a left-handed reliever, and we've seen a lot of bullpen arms already, like, I think Keenan Middleton's going to get moved, but Aaron Bummer should get moved, right? Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't see, I don't see a single solitary reason why they wouldn't want to move Aaron Bummer at this deadline. And they're actually, you know, the market usually is – uh, willing to take on almost as many relievers as teams are willing to deal at these uh, mm-hmm. deadlines. So especially uh, someone who has the potential that Aaron Bummer has, he's having a very rough season, but like, uh, you know, le- lefties haven't moved as much this deadline. You saw Chapman move very early, but there haven't been a, a slew of left-handed relievers move. And a lot of teams are working off no- with no lefties, which is a potentially vulnerable situation going into the playoffs. And so you, you would think this is a, a great situation. He limits the home run, which is a super huge advantage in the playoffs. Like a lot of these playoff games are just a game of swift where whoever hits the most home runs is the winner basically. And so a guy who suppresses home runs like that, you think would be in vogue. Uh, we'll see. I I'm surprised. I mean, I don't think that the five and a half million he's owed next year either is enough of a deterrent to like push teams off. I mean, that's just not a big enough price in my personal opinion. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised there hasn't been more and you know, it wouldn't shock me if he, if he is on another team uh, by Tuesday. How about you, Teresi? What do you, what do you make of the whole Aaron bummer is untouchable? <laughs> So, so I, I wonder if it's really Aaron Bummer is untouchable or if it's a misinterpretation of what the, the White Sox are saying to him of like what we're being offered for Aaron Bummer is ridiculous. Like, because I could see like someone going like, hey, you owe this guy this much money o- over the next couple of years and uh, we'll give you uh, nothing, but we'll take him. You know, like the, <laughs> the, the empty envelope from uh, <laughs> from True Romance, right? Like that that's the offer like so i i could see something like that being the case and they'll be like we're not gonna just give him away right like we have there's utility in a guy who throws a ton of ground balls even though our team can't field and who doesn't give up home runs and so i think teams will look at that and go yeah i, I would like that but they might be going to them and saying like yeah you obviously don't want him. we'll just take him for nothing and if that's the case i could see the Sox saying we're not going to give away Aaron bummer and that being interpreted as we're not trading him. We're not willing to trade him. And I think it, like, that's the only way I could logically make it work in my brain that, that Aaron bummers <laughs> somehow untouchable. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I kind of land on him. And and I think it, I'm, I'm with you guys that Middleton is a surprise to me that he has not moved. Yeah. And again, he could be, uh, there's still two more days left to go. 
Uh, I could see a situation where Aaron Bummer does not get moved, and then I'll just continue scratching my head in August and September when he's pitching for the White Sox, and like, why? The, the thing Closing is, for is, the White Sox. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the, maybe he's going to be extended, and he'll be part of the starting rotation next year. Oh, goodness. <laughs> if I'm an American League contending team, I am really zeroing in on uh, Aaron Bummer because Jordan Alvarez is back for Houston. And we know just how big of a monster he is. And for any team that's going to be in the path of Houston, you're going to have to figure out how to get Jordan Alvarez out. And the way their lineup works, if you have like an Aaron Bummer face Alvarez, maybe Bummer could also take on Kyle Tucker later in the lineup as well. Like, watching the Astros against the Rays, especially their big 17-4 victory over the Rays this weekend, uh, you're going to still have to deal with Jordan Alvarez in the postseason. So if there's an American League team out there that wants a left-handed reliever, I I think the White Sox, they should listen. I I don't buy that they're not listening, so I agree to your point, Treasy. But if Treasy, if you are wrong, that is stupid. I'll just put it out. Oh, man, I'm with you. (laughs) That is stupid. (laughs) There's no reason to make Aaron Bummer untouchable. I think on your guys' show, you had over, under, five and a half players moved. Three three and a half. And And they shot past our three and a half over, under. Like, they because they were uh, marrying players together, that was what we didn't anticipate, I think, Treasy, right? So there's been three deals. Yeah, so so my – my thought, and when when I when I picked the under, I said I don't think Rick Hahn can multitask, so I think that he can only do one deal at a time, and so he would run out of time to get the three and a half. I didn't count on him going two players at a time, I, I, and and that's that's where I was wrong because I'm I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, so let me put the over under at one and a half players. One and, over under one and a half players get traded by the White Sox before the deadline. I'll start with you, Beef. I'm happy to go under. I, I think Middleton goes, and I think he'll be the only one. I, I think I think he's the last one to go. Got it. How about you, Treasy? Just to disagree with Beef, <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take the over and say that, that one more player gets moved. Maybe we get a hold of Taylor Hearn and we can trade him. Uh, but I... <laughs> Aaron Bummer getting moved. That's that'll be my my all right, because I think we both think Middleton's going to get moved. Got it. All right. So that's from the White Sox point of view. So before the deadline, the last question I have for you guys, who do you think is going to be the biggest name to be moved in the next 48 hours? And Teresi, I'll start with you. What is the, the biggest name to be moved? So I think the easy name out there is is Verlander, right? I mean, like that's that's kind of the writings there. And he's there's 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 not a lot of big name guys left because of the teams that are going to stick around and, and, and not trade, but I'm going to go, I'll go with, I'll let beef take that one. I'll, I'll go a little bit of different route and say that the biggest name comes from one of the contenders and someone Ooh. like Jonathan India goes back in a trade. Um, they're, they're making a trade for maybe pitching and they send a Jonathan India uh, back to the team. So I, I'll go with, I'll go with him, but I think that's where I think the, the bigger name's going to come from is from actually the contenders than it's going to come from the the sellers. Wow. So, Teresa, I'm going to give you a redo because Jonathan India just went on the injured list today. Oh, <laughs> come on. 
So now you have to take the, Verlander. <laughs> that's, that's part of the breaking news here, folks. As far as the dangers of podcasts before the deadline is how people just suddenly appear on the injured list. You know what? Uh, so, that, then I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow it up in in a totally different direction and say that it's gonna be the lamest deadline ever, and Heimer Candelario is gonna be the biggest name that you get, or Michael Lorenzen, or I, Michael Lorenzen, yeah. Hyper Candelario was my guy. I was like, there no bats have moved. I'm like, that's that's the guy who it's obvious should move. And uh, you know what? I don't know Washington's waiting, but like that's the guy I, I think that should move. Uh, you mentioned podcasting and something's going on. I just got a Jeff Passan alert that the uh, that the Angels are finalizing a deal to get uh, CJ Cron and Randall Grichuk. So they're just adding more random bats to to the uh, the Angels. I don't even know where they would play these guys, but they're they're throwing them on the roster and, and putting them out there. So, but I agree with you, Tracy. I, I think Candelario is kind of like the obvious bat that is still sitting around in a deadline where almost no impact bats are moving. So I I, I think him and Verlander are kind of the two main guys that, that that go in the next couple of days. One name that I know he's been not talked about a lot, and Seattle is still hovering around the wild card race. But pay attention to the Teoscar Hernandez market. As it, I know there's a lot of interest in Tommy Pham, but Seattle is Seattle. And sometimes they get weird with their deals. And this might be a situation where Seattle moves Teoscar Hernandez before the deadline, an expiring contract in exchange for another expiring contract. So we'll see what Seattle does. But the big moves have already been moved. And the big names have already been moved. I think I agree with you guys as well. Justin Verlander will also get moved. It should be an exciting time as far as there's going to be a lot of action. We'll see the names, if they're worthwhile, and what kind of impact that they will be making to their new teams post the trade deadline. But Beefloaf, Terezi, I really appreciate you guys taking the conversations that we have in the seats here into the <laughs> podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the Sox Machine podcast. Thanks a lot, Josh. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thank you. That will do it for this Sox Machine podcast. Again, big thanks to our friends Terezi and Beeflo from the 108 for joining me. You can follow them on Twitter at from the 108. Also, a thank you to our new friend Josh Carey for providing some insight on Edgar Caro and Kai Bush. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel. So if you want to watch the video version, you can at youtube.com slash socks machine. If you do so, please subscribe to our channel. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. We're at socks machine. You can follow me there at socks machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new Sox Machine swag like the iHeart Wild Pitch Offense shirts in the Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all of Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. 
My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com